For May 29th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 465. Who watches the Baywatchmen? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're talking about our favorite stuff, our favorite movies, TV shows, music, and so on. This week, we're, we're going with what should be the number one movie in America. Not, not the cynical cash grab that is just the latest Pirates of the Caribbean uh, film, but no, a, uh, a searing um, and visionary art film uh, couldn't even crack the top two, was beaten out at the box office. This is how uncompromising the vision of this film is. It was beaten out at the box office by the fourth week in its premiere, was beaten by the fourth week of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. We are talking about Baywatch. Chugga chugga chun. Chugga chun. The movie. Chugga chugga chun. Some people stand in the darkness. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Matt Rather. That is Peter Fenzel. Pete, I'm very excited to talk about Baywatch the movie with you. It was a spiritual experience. I would, I would venture to say... That there has been no movie in recent memory that has disappointed me more <laughs> than Baywatch the movie. And I don't mean that there's no movie I liked less. There's just no movie that disappointed me the way that Baywatch did. Oh, man. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Well, there's so let's, much. Let's dive in. As we were preparing, yeah. uh, you said something that I think really strikes at the heart of the matter uh, in the Overthinking It Slack channel, and we were IMing ideas about what to talk about. Um, why don't you just uh, – why don't we start there? What did you say in the Overthinking It Slack channel about uh, the relationship between this film and the platonic ideal of a film adaptation of Baywatch? <laughs> <laughs> I believe what I said was, well, that was a potentially interesting first draft of a movie based on Baywatch. I can't wait to see what it's like when they finish it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I would unpack that as meaning a little bit is that there are a bunch of different visions for what they're trying to do with this movie adaptation, parody, tribute reboot whatever their whatever the relationship is between this movie and baywatch the movie that actually got to the movie theater it contains a variety of different visions that have not been reconciled is what i would say uh, and that, that that would require further work and further clarification to like get to a place where it has a coherence to it and a singular idea of what it's supposed to be about um, so in case any of our listeners are too young to remember Baywatch. Baywatch was a television show. Uh, it was a on... television show, Matt. <laughs> a was, television show. It was the most popular television show on planet Earth in the world. <laughs> like this was. I mean, it was. It's frankly astonishing um, that uh, the reach that it had, but its its blandness, I think, abetted that uh, a little bit. And it was a drama. It was an hour-long drama series. It uh, First season aired on NBC. It was canceled, and it switched over to being in, in syndication and went on in syndication to become the most watched uh, television show in the world. Uh, it centered on a group of uh, L.A. County lifeguards led by David Hasselhoff, who lifeguard stuff at the beach, who do beach stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, who like uh, uh, yes. who are at the beach, who you know help swimmers, and and then I mean, I, it is true that like a lot of stories, uh, the beach is a good venue for a lot of stories. Uh, I think is a liminal space. It lends itself to you know spiritually, it lends itself to a lot of uh, uh, different sorts of things happening, and and. Um, you know, and then also just being a place where a lot of people go, tourists, where a lot of different kinds of people meet. Uh, there's a lot of potential for for dramatic action. But then there was a kind of workplace drama aspect uh, as well with multiple romances between the various characters in various configurations. And, and, and oh, sorry. And I forgot uh, the main attraction, which is yes. girls running in bathing suits in slow motion. There, oh. were, there were girls running in bathing suits in slow motion. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say the main attraction was? I have been personally offended <laughs> over the course of the last couple of weeks at all the descriptions of what Baywatch is that have been said by people that don't include the words Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Because let's face it, Pamela, Ander- Pamela Anderson deserves a ton of credit for that show being the most watched show in the entire world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like bottom line, she was well, a huge it, cultural phenomenon. Honestly, she we're, was, we're yeah. saying the same thing, Pete, because Pamela yeah. Anderson was generally the woman uh, running in slow motion. Well, yeah, I mean, there were many, right? There was Nicole Eggert. There was Carmen Electra. It, it's sort of a Dianu kind of situation where, like, any number of the people of the people on Baywatch who are there to be looked at would have been like the person to be looked at on any other show, uh, short of something like Melrose Place or Models, Inc. or something like that. Other shows where there were actually that's sort of the era, right, of everybody on this show is there to be looked at uh, as, as a major feature of, of what they are doing with how they are participating. Right. And even even now, there's more pressure, I think, on the characters who are. Uh, for lack of a better word, is the, is the term cheesecake offensive now? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's it's not something that I hear a lot anymore. And I think because yeah. our cheesecake being like uh, bikini shots of of girl, like Sports Illustrated. Well, it's actually see even like. But, Here's here's what I think. I think the the uh, aesthetic that used to be defined by cheesecake, right? The mm-hmm. kind of the and the questionable taste that it implied, um, the prurient interest that that it was designed to appeal to, has become the mainstream aesthetic of our culture, of our dominant culture, right? Yeah. And that that like so it's not that the term is offensive. It's it's that it's not useful anymore because it it describes so much of of what we see and how it's pitched at us, right? I you know I don't know how how do you how would you so I, I would describe early Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue as cheesecake, and now it's something now it's something else. Now it's something porn. Here, you know yeah yeah i would i would say that even by compare so so baywatch objectified all the women and it also objectified the men to a lesser degree it's one of the rare shows of the time period where you get the sense that they picked men for being attractive rather than for being masculine right uh if you look at um what dave charvet is that his name yeah, the guy who, who was played the brody in the original yeah yeah, he has those characteristics. Like we've talked about this a couple times. That great web comic that makes the distinction between power fantasy men and sexual fantasy men, and like the characteristics of a sexual fantasy man who is not a power fantasy man is like full lips and big eyes, right? Yeah, and, and like a, and a slim torso, and like that's that is David Charvet. Like he is sort of an Andrew Shue style, 
right? Uh, like 90s pinup dude. Uh, but yeah, I, I would. What I'm trying to describe is a mode of body objectification and titillation that is short of pornography. Yes, and that is like not. I, w- I would say that it doesn't involve nudity, even really. Yeah, that doesn't even involve nudity. I, I would describe it as chaste. But in the sense that, like, like reluctantly chaste, right? The sort of like a, ch- a quality of chastity that is sort of self-punishing and self-controlled, where it's sort of like you know you don't you have a degree of self-control over like the things that you desire, uh, and and that you experience desire for things uh, without this sort of uh, 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 inevitability of there being like a release. Right. Which is what pornography is about, is about the release, whereas something like Baywatch is more about the excitement and the anticipation. Right. Uh, and even and, and even talking about it just in terms of the sexual act seems to do it violence because this is a show that children could watch and it would be fine. Right. Like they would they would probably be confused sometimes as to like or like bored a little bit. But a lot of it is like friendly stories about like mentor figures like this kid needs to get better grades or like, oh, no, there's a thief and they got to find the thief. Right. And it was it, it while it was very and then there would be a long, slow shot of a bunch of men and women getting out of a pool. Right. Or out of the beach. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like something for everybody. Right. But there was this there was this uncanny combination of. Uh, sexual objectification that came short of pornography is really the what the when I said cheesecake, that's the word I'm looking for. It's like pinup, right? It's like not just sexual objectification, but like it girl, it guy status. Yeah. Right. The creation of a sexual idol, uh, which and this is also why I kind of resent not resent. Resent is a weird word because it's not about me personally, but why I kind of disagree with the idea that Hasselhoff was like the face of Baywatch because Hasselhoff was the character on Baywatch who was the least Baywatchy. Right. Because it's called Baywatch. You watch them. It's uh-huh. about voyeurism. Right. And Hasselhoff was never really the person. I mean, I don't know, because I wasn't the target person that ha- I was supposed to be looking at Hasselhoff. But like, I felt like everybody else on the show was was not everybody, everybody else in the show, but almost everybody else in the show was more there to be looked at at Hasselhoff. And Hasselhoff was sort of there as the um, as the straight man. Like, and I don't mean that in a sexual sense, but Hasloff was there to ground the show and to make it a sort of feasible family drama or off workplace drama, which are sort of two versions of the same thing. Right. Like he had a son and he could sort of like move the plot forward, whereas like the other characters were the ones who are more sort of teasing and titillating with what they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so when you say that it's a drama starring David Hasselhoff, it's not like Knight Rider. It's David Hasselhoff surrounded by a whole bunch of beautiful people. And the beautiful people are being forced to, to not forced, but are being like engaging in like very sort of like good, clean fun, but also like chest shaving uh, axe body spray ads. Right. Uh, which is what it would be now. Even 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 now, the advertisements uh, are like racier and, and then a show dedicated to looking at fit people. Right. Yeah. Uh, than Baywatch uh, was. You know, we've talked about I mean, and this is uh, this is an interesting thing, given the I think the sexual dynamics of this Baywatch are. Uh, are very interesting, and I hope we can we can kind yeah. of get into the sexual politics of this particular of this particular adaptation, especially given the rock right um, and kind of what he what his uh, i don 't know what his his role is but um yeah it's it, it almost like it harkens back we 've talked before about the the like all the Greek statues of, of beautiful dudes, right? And the idea was that you sort of appreciate the kinesis, like you appreciate the sort of excellence, uh, the excellence and, and the excellence in motion, right? That, that those um, early Olympians represented, the, the kind of like athletic 
uh, abilities of their bodies or ra- rather than thinking that like they were sort of available to do something for you. Right. Like, and it's, it's something that, that we've talked about. You, you made the joke once, you know, if you're about objectification or sort of, uh, the gaze, right. Like if you, uh, G A Z E, if, yes, yes, yes. if you are, um, uh, if, if you don't like to be looked at, um, acting is the wrong profession for you. <laughs> yes, yes, It yes, doesn't, exactly. you know, so a, a little bit like what, one of the things you do when you are focused, Photographed when you're filmed, you know, uh, for a dramatic a piece of dramatic storytelling, right? Like visual storytelling, is that you sort of enter into a relationship where your part in it is to be looked at, and our our part in it is is to watch. Now, I mean, like I, I would say voyeurism, but the, voyeurism implies a certain illicit uh, yeah. or a kind of non-consensual thing, like uh, as though uh, seeing something that you're not supposed to see, like peeking in someone else's blinds. And films can engage that particular feeling uh, through a lot of techniques. Hey, shooting through a window or blinds is one of them, you know? But just in the, just the straightforward transaction of being photographed for film, it's, you know, um, there's not really, I mean, unless it's kind of intrinsically shady, there aren't any special elements of shadiness in it, uh, you know, that, that there need to, there needs to, to sort of be a corrective to, you know? So the, the, yeah, you know, absent, um, absent, uh, whatever exploitative aspects there may be. Yeah, and also the the sort of systemic extrinsic effects, right? Like, that's what you're mostly concerned with, is when you sort of step back and look systemically at how it all fits together, and sort of like, what role... So what role do I want to have with regards to a world in which this is sort of the preponderance of the way in which people are represented is a different prospect than, like, what is happening in this one movie that I am watching. Right? Like, I I mean, that's that's my own... I mean, that might be a little bit of, of passing the buck and copping out, but it's it's sort of like if there were something for everyone and if it were equally distributed, then I think it would be a lot. It would be um, it, it would be easier to call the question to this notion that it is intrinsically bad. Right. Uh, this idea that it the idea that is intrinsically right, yeah, bad. Yeah, it's is, not yeah. right. Exactly. Because it's not intrinsically bad. It's bad because of the way it's operationalized. Right. Yes, and that, yes, yes. And that's a hard uh, that's a hard thing to, to think your way around. And and a little bit. I feel like it's not my argument to make that yeah, it's only true. it's only bad because of the way it's operationalized, uh, because, you know, I come out on the, the good side of all the double standards <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of how it's operationalized. So it's so a little bit like it would be, uh, you know, it would be impolite, right? Like it would be yeah. a wrong. It would be a wrong use of. I, 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 you know, I don't know. And and so many of these things, I I think in a in an ideal world, come down to questions of tone and emphasis rather than than questions of what's absolutely right and um, absolutely right and absolutely wrong. But like let's let's kind of like think of uh, let's think back to actually think back to the eighties uh, and like the seventies and eighties. The the heyday of of screw all R-rated comedies. You know, think back to your Porkies and your Police Academies is and your, uh, uh, you know, uh, things like this. This this is um, an R-rated movie. There's a dick in it. That was really interesting, right? Yeah, and there's no boobs. 
There's right. a dick and no boob. They made a Baywatch movie that's R-rated and has a dick but no boobs. I know. Even and that even is like, really interesting. And a morning after scene, right? Like a just totally, totally a boob opportunity. You know, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> the kind but, of thing where in like a in like a movie from like 1991, someone would like like a woman would roll out of bed and like be walking for about five long seconds before covering herself up, yeah, just to sort of like put it in the right section of the video store and even right? like, like in, that kind of thing in a movie like wedding crashers which was like at the time was a lot of the the discourse around it centered on the kind of the return of the r-rated uh return of the r-rated comedy um like uh that had boobs within the first like in the first montage in the like in the act one what is wedding crashing montage it's like it, you know wedding crashing is is where you see boobs on screen you know and uh and like deadpool no boobs right mm-hmm. and um and this mo- you know which was now like the r rated you know the hard r uh uh action comedy right is back no boobs and this uh this no boobs right and like an actual focus on on boobs like boobs are the the manifest topic of certain stretches of the film you know and that's uh, uh so it's i mean it is it is an interesting thing now well, yeah I, now uh, i'll say that i am grateful for any opera like culturally you know just in terms of my politics i'm grateful for for any opportunity to make penises ridiculous because because they're ridiculous but um uh but the the it's an interesting you know it uh, it's an interesting thing here i guess you know yeah so allow me to fr- present a hypothesis please me. please hypothesize away uh, Bay- and this is related to what you just talked about baywatch colon, this is the movie. Uh, this is this is fenzel's uh uh first theorem of <laughs> first dick theorem of baywatch colon the movie uh, I, that's not what it is oh. but it is it is related baywatch colon the movie is the Ghostbusters reboot of the sea. <laughs> and, and, and you Go see what on. I'm saying, right? I, I so do. what I'm saying is that the Ghostbusters reboot, so they rich so and we talked about this in our Ghostbusters podcast. The Ghostbusters reboot is highly concerned with how the original Ghostbusters movie is uh is regressive and non-participatory in a bunch of ways, right? And how the fans of the original Ghostbusters movie are themselves somewhat villainous in relation to the uh, public and cultural goods that Ghostbusters the reboot is concerned with, right? Like the fans of Ghostbusters the movie that were sort of hostile to the making of the Ghostbusters reboot are positioned as the villain in the Ghostbusters reboot, right? The sort of basement dwellers, these these sort of who like kind of hate everybody else for having a better time than them and they're constantly criticizing. And that the heroes in Ghostbusters, the reboot, are women who have been marginalized and have not really been allowed to take center stage and who are facing constant sort of criticism and difficulty because of their desire to have this role that has been denied to them. Whereas in the original Ghostbusters, they're mostly concerned with sort of like dude slackers and and men who manage to have uh, powerful roles in, you know, religion and history and government and magic without actually doing any hard work, right? It's kind of one of the sort of vibes of at least the Peter Venkman character in the original Ghostbusters, right? It sort of rewards slacker culture. And so in much the same way, 
Baywatch Cole in the movie is there to sort of punish and chastise you for liking the original Baywatch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And which to which which to its great detriment and to the same way that that the uh, and, and the same way that the Ghostbusters reboot suffers. Right. And, and and actually ends up in a similar sort of nebulous genre space to the Ghostbusters reboot where you get the sense that in its heart, it's a low budget comedy that really shouldn't be shooting for kind of global blockbuster status. And if you were to sort of double down and focus on kind of what you really want to say as a comedy, you can make like a really good movie, right? There's like a really good movie that lives inside this movie that is a bit of conflict. Now, the Baywatch colon the movie is is much worse than the Ghostbusters reboot as an overall quality piece of work. I I don't think that's a controversy. No, yeah, the Ghost, the Ghostbusters reboot was a good movie, and this is not. This no. is like it's so. I I'm not quite prepared to condemn it in the terms that that you are, but but you're not exactly condemning it. It's I to me there is like a, a number of kernels of interesting ideas. Uh, in this movie, and it's uh, it's disappointing that. I, I would have liked less movie, uh, but but more focused and maybe a little better executed um, than all the just like throwing seeds, you know, just kind of throwing seeds onto the ground and and hoping that they all, you know, that they all take take root. Like here, here are some of the things that are going on in this. Mm-hmm. In this Baywatch movie, it's supposed to be a sort of international success, right? It took two, not one, but two uh, Chinese financiers in the production company title cards before the uh, before the film. It has a uh, like a super famous Indian actress playing the villain. Um who seems Chicana to me, right? Like the idea is that, you know, just be, maybe just cause here in California, we associate like Mexican drug cartels and things like this. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's Priyana, Priyanka Chopra playing the Eva Mendez role. Right. Is what it is. Eva <laughs> Mendez is, it made me think of ghost Rider as soon as she showed up or like too fast, too furious. Right. Where it's like, she's playing the exotic woman. Uh, and it isn't important what ethnicity she is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No. Right. Exactly. And uh, which is a problem. But I, I mean, it's like the the you know she's there for demographic reasons, right? Like she sort of opens yeah. up uh, South Asia to the to this uh, to this movie. At least that's that's the hope. And then yeah. like. Uh, you know, um, and then a sort of ethnic mix, and and the I mean, the Rock being, I think, the most international and internationally bankable um, of these, you know, of these uh, uh, actors who play the the core six lifeguard lifeguard team. But like the, you know, this is something that is supposed to travel, you know, and um, right there's that. Uh, there's a kind of tongue in cheek thing of like making fun of uh bro culture a little bit or making fun of uh uh this sort of like uh father figure type movie right that's just just mocked uh the idea of like making fun of the making fun of the original baywatch right yeah. like uh, yeah part of this movie is a 21 jump street style like comedy very very much in the spirit of 21 jump street with jonah hill and Jang yeah. tatum though that that too i think was probably ultimately a more successful uh more successful effort like than than this is um it's a romantic comedy uh it, with with stakes that you don't care about well i guess one couple that you care about a little bit uh and w- one couple that you just don't care about i really wanted the um 
Oh, what's it? What, what's her name from uh, True Detective? Alexandra Daddario, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I really wanted her to be gay. I was hoping <laughs> so much when she was remarking about how CJ always like looks uh, moist but not wet. You know how she's always like yeah. glowing and moving in slow motion. I don't I, think that's the word she uses. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, well, no. What does she say? She's wet but not too wet, or something. Yep, like that. yep, yep. Like it um, would have been cool to have to subvert that by having one of the people who's staring at the. Baywatch people be a woman. Right. Exactly. And that like she was she was appreciating her sexually. Right. And at the same time as uh, who was it? Is it Zac Efron or is it the the geek character? I think it was John Bass because she and John because one of these movies is like a police academy movie. Yes, exactly. Where Alexandra Daddario and John Bass are like Jones and Hightower or Jones and and uh, and Mahoney right. who are like entering the lifeguard academy and like one of them is by the book and one of them is like a total screw up. Well, yes, yeah, Zac, yeah. Zac Efron is the Mahoney character though, right? Because he's that you know uh, that. Um, uh, Donald Sutherland from uh, Mash. He's supposed to be that, but he's a he's, yeah. a, he's an f up, right? Like he. I mean, yeah. I mean, less less Mahoney because he's not fun. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, he's yeah, like exactly. the ringer. Yeah, yeah. not like or, or in Mash, like the Alan Alda character, which yeah. who was I think Donald Sutherland in the movie, right? Um, yeah. it is fun. Like is you know treats the whole thing like a joke. Uh, but that's you know that's supposed to be. It's funny. It's an interesting reversal of that. Like in that, you know, war is being satirized by by uh, the the um, the horror of war is being thrown into relief by being treated like a joke uh, or the kind of the seriousness of of like urban policing. Right. Like uh, being thrown into belief, uh, relief by um, by treating it like a joke. And there's there's an aspect of kind of, you know, uh, taking the piss of sort of like letting the air out of some of the sanctimony. But but also like there is a serious point satirically to it here. Uh, when Zac Efron treats everything like a joke, everyone around him and the audience is like, no, 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 dude, there are real stakes here. Like, <laughs> you, you have to, you can't be uh, a selfish jerk off. You have to, you know, pull for the team. Like, because you guys are doing important stuff, that's, uh, you know, that's important, right? Like, um, yeah, and that that's really the movie's biggest problem is that when the different visions for the movie come into conflict with each other, yes. the movie too often stops and has the characters argue about what the movie should be about in this given scene. Right. Yeah, and what the tone yeah, tonally it's all over the yeah. place in terms of focus. It's it's all over the place like it's an, you know, it's an interesting thing. But one so one through line that I wanted I definitely wanted to kind of not um miss talking about because it it for me it was something like the thesis statement of of the movie had to do with masculinity right Mm -hmm. and had to do with the kind of and and this is like i i think this is what accounts for some of the um uh, some of the difference some of the way it wants you to feel guilty about liking baywatch uh liking baywatch originally right like um the the issue of of the issue with masculinity here is that it's like it's being renegotiated, right? And there, I think there are a couple of axes uh, along which it's it's being um, it's being renegotiated. One is uh, uh, the sexual axis. One is um, the kind of the body, like a kind of body shape, a kind of uh, you know. Um, you know that let's call it the swole access uh right and uh 
and then another has to do with with like um virtue and honor and and let's call that the the father axis right um so the the uh sexually right um there's there's also an axis of, of competence Yes. And efficacy. Yeah, sure. yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, yep. I guess I would call that I, I would say that that belongs uh, that belongs with the, the virtue and honor axis, because like okay. as as Zach Efron, because the two things are conflated in a way that's not really true. Right. Like Zach Efron, you know, talks a good game about how he can swim really fast and stuff like that. But he actually doesn't do anything physically really impressive until he has sorted out his loyalties. Right. Um, like he does stupid things like like motorcycling off the end of a pier or swimming into a fire uh, and, and or like doing the wrong obstacle course. Yeah. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense in context. But well, no, it does because anyway. they cut to him standing there with people standing all around him. I mean, and I thought like I thought the fix was in like is, you know, this is not cool. Uh, the rock, Mr. The Rock, sir, like, you know, you're trying to tire him out so that he can't lift the refrigerators. Um, <laughs> but like, OK, so let's. Uh, well, all right. So so three on the sexual axis, right? Like there are three main um uh, masculine figures who who are involved in in sexuality, right? Like Zac Efron is predatory, but he's put in his place easily uh, by the sort of norms of the new, by the norms of contemporary culture, and by women who are, uh, uh, you know, um, well able to stick up for themselves and tell him he's being a, a sexist douchebag, right? Like, are you looking at my boobs? Is the the scene I'm think is the scene yeah. I'm thinking about, and others uh, where she's, you know, clearly she even kind of makes fun of the idea, like, oh, we all know I'm going to give in eventually, and so, you know, I no, I really wanted her character to be gay. I wanted her to be, uh, I, and I wanted that to be how that how that thing wrapped up at the end when uh uh when they go to kiss and she's like dude i'm 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 not into guys right like that's i really wanted that but that maybe was a little too much for the the presumed taste of the international uh audience then there's the uh then there's the geeky character i don't know his name and i don't know the actor's name um but he's you know uh yeah he's sort of nebbishy he's uh uh, the actor's name is John Bass. And he does a good job in this. Um, and does a lot of kind of slapstick stuff, very gamely. A lot of uh, clown stuff, very gamely. Oh, there's another dick. His dick is in the movie as well. <laughs> there are two rubber dicks in this movie. But is he? Is dick ever exposed? It's not ever exposed, but no. it's stuck in the thing. And it's outlined in his shorts pretty, you know. Uh, it, and it looks like a... a junior high schoolers cartoon drawing of a dick but like uh it's you know there it's drawn it, it, yeah. a lot of attention is is uh uh drawn to it and you know he's uh he's got the hots for cj uh cj right and mm-hmm. um you know and 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 she actually appreciates him and sort of sees through all of his you know uh uh, less than you know, uh, less than swole exterior to uh, to the like the good uh, loyal um, uh, sort of man within, and then there's the Rock who is sexless, right? Interesting. Yeah, who is who is not like uh, uh, he has he has one sequence where he's shown as very male, which is the first scene where he dives into the water and you look in his eyes. Like I feel like that scene is the Rock as like a dude. 
right, as a man and a sexual man. But you're right. For the rest of it, he's like a Muppet. He's like he's like Grimace. And uh, he's, he, yeah, I, Grimace I, mean, one, I don't know if Grimace is sexless. I just there's one so. sort of thing where he kisses to um, uh, where he has to kiss a coworker as a ruse. Right. But there's Ilfanesh no Hadera, I believe is her name. And she plays uh, Stephanie. Right. Who is historically the most competent on person on Baywatch. Right? I, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, it's funny. The, the character. I didn't like clock any of the characters other than like mm-hmm. their their kind of functions. Right. Because it wasn't it didn't invest that much in giving them well the characterization was really inconsistent which is a different topic yeah Uh, Um, so it's continuing what you're but there's no in that there was no like tension between them there was no even like after after the kiss like lingering look as like well that just happened whether it's awkward or whether it's like we've been waiting a long time for that or nothing they are they were just like mutually respectful co-workers who you know had to <laughs> had to, had to like, kiss because they would be killed if they did yeah because they're <laughs> who had to pull this secret agent move yeah. you know uh in in order to uh you know in order to get through to the next the next thing but right. but they're both james bond neither one is the bond girl is the thing yeah like they're both equally the spy they're right. both like the, yeah they're buddy cops it's like if mel gibson and danny glover had to kiss except more comfortable with themselves <laughs> with each other and they wouldn't have to have an awkward conversation about yeah, it afterwards it's a, it's a huge missed opportunity in the lethal <laughs> weapon franchise isn't it and then they could both get it on with joe pesci later on but never well mind. now they truly are too old for this so <laughs> uh right so there's a there's a sort of sexual there's a sexual axis right and these these stakes out like different different places on that continuum the then there's the swole access and i'm going to put in the show notes uh a vulture article called male stars are all too buff now um and that the uh, you know talking about zach efron's making the point that olympic swimmers don't have the physique that zach efron has uh in in this movie um I'd make the point also that hard drink and party boys don't necessarily have that physique that Zac Efron has uh, in in this movie. You know, alcohol being demotivational and highly caloric. Uh, it's it, you know. I mean, to, what, to add a little bit more texture to that, and I'm not sure. I read a little bit of the Vulture article, but I'm not sure if it really goes into it. I think one of the big factors is you got to think that that movies are filmed one shot at a time. And from what I so we have some friends. Were you were you there when they did Gamer? So because we we had some friends who appeared a, a, as extras in the, in the movie Gamer with uh, Gerard Butler. Right. Yep. I think it was Gamer. And from what I heard from their description, Gerard Butler was a super nice and very friendly to them, uh, even though that they were under no expectation to talk to him. But Gerard Butler had a pair of dumbbells on, on the side. And then right before he was about to do a scene, regardless of what the scene was, he would get a pump on. Right. And he would pump the dumbbells, right? And so a lot of people listening to the podcast might not be aware of the phenomenon of the pump. Uh, but, <laughs> but the phenomenon of the pump is a real thing, which is the idea that, like, shortly after ex- uh, exertion, your muscles are have a lot more blood in them and are larger, right? So, like, if you go to the gym and you work out and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I look good, right? That's because, you know, part of that is that your muscles are bigger than they were before you went to the gym because you were using them. And they get bigger. They sort of like like a king cobra's hood. They like get they go get get bigger, get ready for action, right? Uh, and they stay that way for a little bit, right? They stay for that for a little while. It is not natural for somebody to have a pump on all the time. Uh, and and uh, in movies, people have a pump on all the time. And also, people are highly dehydrated. Like like Zac Efron looked very dehydrated in this movie, as if he were like 
in a bodybuilding competition. Oh, like sure. he had been he had been like eating salt for like three days or something. And it's not quite that extreme. But like when you're when you're show ready for a bodybuilding competition, you don't stay there for more than like a couple days, if that. Right? You look to have one day when you're perfect and where everything is in order and where everything every line is everything is striated. Sure, sure, sure. Your, yeah, your whole Yeah, there and there are three aspects to it. Like one is hydration, one is body fat, and one is uh, muscle stuff, right? Like Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you want to be dehydrated so that there is less in the tissue between the skin and the muscles so that the maximum muscle definition is shown. Right. And you don't want to be that dehydrated when you're in the sun and around salt water because you pass out. But, uh, but, but at any rate, um, all of the models that have six packs all the time, even without the airbrushing, like people don't look like that because people don't always have their abs perfectly sucked in and they're, and they're, and they're like body fat and their water weight, like totally expunged and flushed out. Right. Like if you were looking somebody over time, like even somebody who's super duper fit, uh, like you can look at, um, I'm actually right now, I've got a list of the Baywatch people up, um, in front of me so I can look at their names. And if you look at Kel- Kelly Rohrbach, right, is a sports illustrated swimsuit model, you know, and she plays CJ in this movie. I would argue she is pretty badly miscast, as Pamela Anderson, although I like her as an actress, I think she did a good job and communicated a fair amount of subtlety in a role that didn't have much. But like, she's not Pamela Anderson, and she doesn't like give the impression that Pamela Anderson gave. And it's a really tall order for anybody to do that, but it seems like part of the mo of any necessary Baywatch movie. Sure, but like Pamela Anderson was sui generis, right? Like it's it's yeah, it doesn't seem she, fair to ask anybody to do that, right? No, she she sprang from the head of Tim the Toolman Taylor, fully formed. <laughs> but like, I was just saying that like. There are like if if you look at shots of her and she's no, you can't argue that she's at all in in perfect shape in the least, but she doesn't have like visible, like defined abs in many of her shots. Right. But in the movie, she sure does. In this movie, like they show there's one scene and it really stuck out to me in this in the scene uh, where like all of Baywatch lifeguards are standing in a room and and they're all waiting for like uh the boss to kind of there's going to fire the rock for, you know, you went over the line, stand in your badge and your gun, Pulaski, like that kind of thing. And they all come out and they're all standing in a row. And um, Kelly Rohrbeck is standing like vamping, right? Like three quarters out, perfectly posed. And you could tell she's like she's like crunching her abs in and is like trying to perfectly position. She's wearing the one piece bathing suit. But it's like you what I'm really saying is that it's I don't know if and I read part of the Vulture article and I'll let you get back to it in just a second. It's not just about how buffy actors are. It's whether human bodies are allowed to be relaxed on film, whether whether you're I have a joke with my uh, with my fiance. And I told this joke a long time ago where like whenever she touches me, I'm flexing. Right. Because it's like I want to be I want to be they want that be to the strong part. Right. If she touches my arm. I'm going to flex my arm. Right. And I joke that, like, actually, she's never seen me unflexed because I'm always flexing the like the like the part of my body that's facing her as if it's like the phases of the moon. Right. <laughs> like if she's to my side, I'm, I'm flexing my side and she's behind me. I'm flexing everything in the back. Um, but like people in movies are like optimally flexing and pumped and dehydrated these days, like a lot. Right. Right. Um, I actually rewatched the Tobey Maguire uh, Spider-Man movie this week, and there's that very famous scene with Tobey Maguire in front of the mirror where he's flexing, which might have sort of been the beginning of a lot of this in this trend of like because it made big news. Right. Like, oh, my God, Tobey Maguire got buff for Spider-Man. Nobody thinks of the guy from Cider House Rules as being buff. That's crazy. Right. Um, 
But of course, he goes only that way for one scene, and he never shows up shirtless again in the entire movie. Sure. Uh, which is sort of the reality of these things. But anyway, go back to the swole axis. I was just saying that Zach Zach Efron deserves credit for getting to like an optimal place, but it, it is at the point where it's like, who told him to do that for the whole movie? Right? Is it really necessary? Because it looks unnatural and it looks unhealthy, right? Like it looks it it just does it's just not even how super fit people look. No, it's and it's not it, right, exactly people who are optimized for athletic performance, as you would expect an Olympic swimmer to be, right? Like yeah. all all that you, there were all kinds of, of shirtless pictures of, of Michael Phelps, Phelps after all of his uh Olympic medals, and he didn't look that, you know, that wasn't his body composition, right? Like in any of them. Um, but the, yeah. the, the this- classic example of this also is Brad Fitt and Fight Club. And people often get this wrong, where Brad Fitt and Fight Club is like super lean and like super defined. And like a lot of people will be like, oh man, I wish I had the body of Brad Fitt and Fight Club. How much do you have to lift? It's like, you don't have to lift that much. It's not really a lot of mass. It's yeah. not really about how buff he is. Right. It's about the fact that he's taken away everything that's between his muscles and the camera. Right. Right. Like everything. And, um, and like, yeah. Anyway, well, and sorry. So the 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 thing I, w- I kind of want to point out is that like there is a, almost kind of an inverse relationship between the swole axis and the sexual axis, right? Mm. And that like uh, at the least swole you're the most sexual, and at the most swole you're you're the least sexual. Though though I will say even uh, uh, the Rock for the Rock, you know, did not look as uh, as large as Zac Efron did relative to to the platonic ideal of Zac Efron, right? Like The Rock looks bigger and kind of uh, uh, more kind of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine um, in uh, in the Fast and the Furious franchise, uh, where he's just he's just a mountain of a man, and this he is you know uh, comparatively svelte. At least that's the the impression that I got. Now there's one moment where he does uh, he I think he puts the it's after the refrigerators or the tire flipping or something like this when he schools Zac Efron in the obstacle course and he does this like raw sort of big big growl and he kind of bends over and flexes his arm downwards is there a name for that pose Pete you are a uh, sort of much more uh, skilled and knowledgeable in this area than I am you know the- oh gosh um is that a Oh, you know what I mean. To a, it's similar He's, to a it's similar to a pose called a front double bicep. Yeah. Um I, I believe it's uh I'm trying I'm trying to figure out exactly Oh, there's there's a pose called most muscular that it's something similar to, although that usually involves a little bit of turning to the side, I think. But the front so, double the front double bicep except the arms down, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, exactly. he does this like rah, uh yeah. thing and I I was watching it and like after this huge display of force, right? Like the it was it was really well calibrated it looked more fun than it did uh threatening right like it was more like party than it was like i will eat your children you know <laughs> uh w- with sort of overt uh overt aggression right and that's like um in a film where the male stars are are really you know highlighted for their strength you know for their raw power um the aspect of aggression is pretty much uh is pretty much taken away and then the the third axis is the the honor uh you know the kind of the virtue axis whether it's the virtue of of being skillful or the virtue of being loyal you know um 
and that you know uh, that's a uh, uh, that's an interesting thing. I mean, it's it's funny. We had uh, just this summer we watched Guardians of the Galaxy two, we watched E. T. and we watched uh, Baywatch, all movies about fathers uh, to mm. a certain extent, and kind of the provision of the the provision by oneself uh, of a father or father figure uh, in the absence of actual fathering, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, hmm, it, it's interesting that, you know, the kind of the sexist aspect of this is that the, the mothers are interchangeable, but the fathers are singular a little bit, right? Like there, there, are, there are many mothers, but one father, you know? Uh, and that like, uh, and, and what was the, um, the name of the ob- obstacle course, the absentee dad or something like the absentee father, right. Who's going to leave you, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, emotionally scarred, but tougher, uh, <laughs> that, right. you know, that like, this is, uh, you know, and, and so it, I, it strikes me that all of the, all of these things add up to me, um, and and the movie is still incoherent and it's it's participating incoherently in the discourse that i'm proposing but i i propose that there is a discourse underway about kind of redefining masculinity uh, especially vis-a-vis uh fathering right and father son relationships in you know in the contemporary world right in in light of of postmodern society postmodern culture and late capitalism and that that what this means um you know, is a question that the that the film is is uh, engaged in a little bit. I mean, like, who is the evil villainous of the film? Right? It's a woman. It's a businesswoman uh, who rejected her father, rejected her brother, right, and is unattached. Uh, is unattached sexually to any yeah. to anyone. And she and she makes a, she makes a little offhand comment when some when I think someone is it Zac Efron says you're crazy and she says if you're a man you would call me uh, ambitious. Yeah, she right? gets all she gets all she gets all lean in about you yeah, know, yeah about it. Uh, but then also like uh, I think Zac Efron says f you at some point and she's like no thanks and yeah. uh, you know like I think and, it's just pass right yeah, pass yeah <laughs> which is a delight uh, swipe left. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and so anyway, this is, uh, I don't know. This is interesting to me. Well, what does it arrive at? Where does, where does it go? Like what, what point does it make a salient point as it, like like I said, it's, it's incoherent, but I, I feel like it's part of a larger, it's part of a larger cultural conversation. It's part of a a larger set of forces that are kind of uh, renegotiating something. Here, I'll, I'll say one thing that has to say, here's one thing that it has to say, and it doesn't get there. Which is that there's a love plot where John Bass, the tech nerd, and uh, Kelly Rohrbark, the Pamela Anderson person, right, uh, are he is he's has a huge crush on her, and this is almost pulled from an '80s movie, right, where he's the nerdy guy and she's the beautiful blonde, and he has a crush on her, and he's gonna like rescue her or trick her to doing mouth to mouth on him or trick her to like being in the same room naked and commit some sort of like vague sexual assault would be how it would happen in like an '80s movie, right, uh, and yet because of the norms of the time no one would call it out and it would all be laughed away and it'll be fine but in this movie there's uh, she makes offhand comments about how she likes the look of his penis <laughs> yeah and, and, and like she where it's like it's like large it's impressive she wants to touch it she wants to like excite him right and then they end up together right in the end of the movie right which i did we say spoilers for baywatch Cole in the movie <laughs> because spoilers for baywatch if you were going to watch it for the plot first of all the plot is insanely complicated that is something we haven't even really touched on we talked about how there's a lot that's going on in this movie but the plot is like very 
complicated. Yeah, and it it, um, it relies on your knowledge of of tropes in of movies like this, right? Like the city council is on the payroll because of course the city council is on the payroll because this is the sort of situation where the city council would be on the payroll, right? It's sort of like, so you've seen Chinatown, so we don't have to get you up to speed on that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've seen, you've seen like, I love how at one point, Anyway, I'm getting distracted. I'll come back to that in a second. But the main thing is that they try to make the point that Ke- that CJ is not like just sort of tricked into being in bed with this guy. She actually likes him and she has like non-traditional tastes in men. Right. And, and like that's sort of like, oh, isn't that kind of interesting? And it gets like 40 percent of the way there. Sure. Right. Or like, like yeah, that his unique. I mean, it, it, you know, his highlighting, it does a good job of establishing that he has like pluck and yeah. he you know, moves well. He's a good dancer. Right. Loyalty. Yeah, sure. Or at least committed, <laughs> a committed, yeah, dancer, committed dancer, yeah. you know, um, and uh, and the ability to laugh at himself, like a lot of actually like a lot of really desirable qualities, things that you would like in yeah. in yeah. Uh, in a partner, like a sense of humor and uh, doesn't take himself too seriously, seems, you know, skilled at his area of expertise and, and uh, uh, you know, generally generally a good time. Yeah, but it's not a. It's it's sort of gestured at like a lot of things in the film. It's gestured at, but not really developed into a coherent point. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that that's that's definitely true of the father son dynamic between The Rock and Zac Efron. Well, yeah. And yeah, right. Exactly. Where it's like The Rock is sort of like Zac Efron. Another big problem with this movie is that Zac Efron is 29 and is playing like a a sort of a Ryan Lochte figure who's also what in his late 20s at this point. How old is Ryan Lochte? uh, Uh, Yeah, at this point. But like what he should be, you know, Ryan Lochte's 32. Right. So he's playing a guy who's about 30. Right. Yeah, oh, you, he's, you he's too saying, old yeah. to be to be a trainee lifeguard. Though, yeah. uh, I I have a grad school classmate who, subsequent to grad school, uh, became a Los Angeles lifeguard and was in his thirties when he did. Okay, it. so I actually know a uh, uh, trainee lifeguard in his thirty. Well, now he's a he's a, a full fledged lifeguard, but in his in his thirties, um, which is I'm just, a, I'm just saying that the father son dynamic between like a of like a 45 year old man and a, and a 29 year old man. Yeah. Like, like I just feel like if you really wanted to highlight it, like, like yes, in guardians of galaxy two, we had Kurt Russell and Chris Pratt and Chris Pratt is also like in his thirties. Right. And so, yes, there's a lot of movies. It seems where like man children in their thirties are finding a father figure who's talking to them about stuff and is sort of a surrogate father to them or, or maybe a biological father, whatever. But I just felt like Zac Efron was was it was too old. He was the wrong choice to play somebody who didn't understand the consequences of his actions. Yeah. And I don't think that his character really channeled that either. Like the way he performed the character was a character with like intense regret and a character who has sort of awareness of his interiority of his poor impulse control. Right. And sort of is is actively defensive about it in a way that reflects a certain sort of of uh, of pain but not like an obliviousness that you would associate with somebody who was like 20, right? It's like a 20-year-old guy shows up like that and he starts oogling the breasts of his coworkers. Like he's not going to accept no for an answer as gracefully as Zac Efron does. In this sure, movie. sure, sure. Yeah, because right? he's had some experience, uh, some experience with that. But also, by the way, a 30-year-old starts starts oogling the, the breasts of his coworkers. Like at that point, he should know better, right? Yes. That's a, you know. And he does. That's the thing he does because he says so. Yeah. Right. Like he, he jokes about it. Like he, he's like, oh, that's not what I was doing. I'm sorry. 
right? Like, or whatever. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. He should know better. Yeah, it's uh, there is there is just sort of a mismatch, and also just developmentally, where you know where that person is. Like we talked a, b- a little bit about the Erickson uh, stages, and like he's he's in the wrong one, right? The yeah. the there's a sort of actor character mismatch in that respect there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we were, you were you were on the of the three axes. We were moving to the mor- morality axis, right? That's what we were talking about. Well, right. Sort yeah, of- I mean, the the really, it's the least. That one is honestly the most straightforward, right? Like like uh, uh, loyalty, selflessness, good. Right. Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, selfishness, bad, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's like everyone every there's it's it's not like an interesting uh, distribution as as there is with like the sexuality or the swole axis on the the virtue axis. Right. Like everyone is uh, pretty good at their jobs and understands that teamwork is important, except Zac Efron. And, yeah. uh, you know, and he, he comes, uh, uh, from, from one to the other, but it is like, you know, I don't know. It is sort of posited as a, uh, a thing about, uh, as a question of sort of being a good man, actually in that, in, in this respect, the, the, um, the captain and the, uh, the police officer, right. Are probably the more interesting figures because they, uh, with like, um, uh, the, the idea you of like, like the, the the police officers like insecurity about his body no, or uh, his desire uh, no, I was to have about, authority yeah i was thinking about the kind of the relationship to authority right like uh, like the rock is about loyalty and teamwork but but the but kind of answers to a higher authority like hebrew national but but <laughs> he uh you know but then his captain wants him wants obedience and obedience is not the same thing as loyalty right and the um the uh the cop wants like jurisdictional uh, uh, authority, right? And like authority is not the same thing as loyalty or like, uh, or, you know, um, legitimacy is not the same thing as authority. Uh, and that, that like that there's an interesting sort of, there's an interesting sort of thing. And so in, I mean, if you look at the rock as the, the apotheosis, uh, the apotheosis of this, it's sort of like the, the, uh, uh, the model of masculinity is very, is very confused, right? Yeah. Like it's uh, extremely powerful, but not aggressive, right? Like mm-hmm. extremely desirable, but not sexual and extremely loyal, but not hierarchical, you know? And that's, uh, uh, that, that's a, just a, a recipe of, of, you know, it's uh, look and, and like, you know, don't cry for, don't cry for me. I'm not saying it's like, Hey, it's Baywatch colon the masculine mystique, right? But, <laughs> But, no, no, uh, don't don't sell it short. Don't sell it short. But there, uh, but there is. I mean, uh, what I'm saying is that the picture, the picture that emerges, um, you know, I, look. The, the, the reason I'm selling it short is because it doesn't it doesn't arrive with the kind of uh, uh, real world disempowerment that uh, that the feminine mystique arrives with. But but it is an interesting picture that it paints one rife with composi- contradictions and one that is actually not a very good model for living an actual life you know well let, let me i'll tell you this the one line in the movie that made me groan more than any other line in the movie is the line where they're talking to Zac Efron about the relay, right? And they're like, oh, you know, you did great for your own race, but then when the relay came, like, you couldn't do it for your teammates. And I went, oh, right? And you know why I went, oh, right? Is Well, first of all, it's horribly cliche, right? It doesn't make any sense 
that that you would be much like a relay in swimming is still very much an individual competition. It does not require like a psychological association with your teammates. You merely have to go when the person in front of you stops. <laughs> that is all you have to do. It does not. I mean, maybe I mean, and I say this as somebody who has like run and won medals in my life at relays. Uh, and now, granted, they were on the high school level in middle distance running, but like a relay, yes, like you have to do the handoff, but it's not like like basketball or like soccer or like a marriage sure right? where you have whole, to like <laughs> where there's like a real-time collaboration i mean yeah. like yeah it's it's uh i mean what are they talking about they're talking about like the night before oh which was alluded to a little bit right like was there some sort of trauma some i i get the sense that there was some sort of specific backstory in some draft of the script right like yeah because he's on probation but they never explain why what for yeah what he did we know he the... vomited at the olympics which right, is because again, he went this, out this, because yeah. he went out partying the night before and the it was like uh it was alluded to briefly that there was some specific reason that he did that there was some like trauma that he was trying to anesthetize himself from um yeah. uh, but it wasn't it wasn't gone into in in any you know sort of detail it was again it was yeah. again kind of gestured at and not not really developed yeah. but but the, so the real reason i groaned at it is because the movie had already had a wonderful downton abbey moment which i had really hoped was going to be the statement of purpose for the movie which was the part it was a little conversation at the beginning where the rock is going around so that first scene in the movie was great and if the whole movie had been the movie that the first sequence told us about or the first couple sequences, I think it would have been a great movie where the rock kind of goes around the beach and, and there's this like really unrealistic adoration of the rock as a lifeguard yep. where like everybody's has been saved by the rock. There's a guy who goes to the beach every day and builds a sandcastle sculpture of the rock right. because the rock saved his sister's life. And the rock is sort of like, you guys can't do this every day. Right. And he's like, well, if you do it tomorrow, like give me a bigger bulge in front and make my pecs look nicer. Right. But so like it's presented as this sort of like, surrealistic it's presentationalist this idea that the rock is this sort of great hero uh it's larger than life and there's going to be a conflict where the authorities of of the of the institutional world are going to try to say because you are a lifeguard and not a policeman you can't be a hero and what we're sort of doing is vindicating no baywatch was the most popular tv show in the world lifeguards can be heroes right uh and that's sort of the statement but the big statement of purpose is when the rock talks to the little kid and to the cop and uh, and the kid goes, oh, man, that's like Superman. Mitch is like Superman or whatever. And the cop goes, hey, you know, he's not a grown man. He's, a, he's wears spandex to work. And the kid goes, so does Superman. Yeah. Right. And think about all that that band's have, like he wears. He's not a man. He wears spandex to work. Superman wears spandex to work. Yep. So it, it's this really interesting uh, kind of it's both. It's not historically linear. It's sort of re-historical and recapitulated and retconning. This idea that we're reaching back into the past for camp figures to bring into the present to realign our notion of contemporary masculinity, which is like the Tim Burton Batman, right, is sort of what that's doing as well. And this idea that The Rock is going to play uh, a Superman figure who is disrespected by uh, by men who have like traditional masculine roles. And I feel like a lot of the energy in the movie is around that. And I think you're picking up a lot of that. But then a bunch of the other energy is around this idea of like, it's necessary for an adult to be a team player. Superman is not a team player. This is not the same story that we're telling, right? This idea that like the story of whether uh, a, a single person can be Superman versus whether a person can, can be like, uh, I mean, what's, who's the sort of archetypical, like, like a Ninja Turtle, right? 
It's like Zac Efron is a ninja turtle. He's Raphael the ninja turtle in this movie. Sure. Whereas yeah, and 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 it's like oh, and and Raphael the ninja turtle and Superman don't have to team up. There's no reason, right? Like Superman does. Superman might be nice to him, but like they're not peers. They're not fa- family. Yeah. So that, that Superman, that's, right? Exactly. Yeah. Superman doesn't and isn't a mentor of like younger super of super boys. You know, like yeah. Superman, I mean, like you know. sometimes, but even then, it's very much a one to one. Like you're gonna do your own thing, and I'm gonna do my own thing. And I'm going to model behavior for you and you're going to follow it. Not the whole like we're going to team up and like everybody, no one of us is – Superman can't feasibly say no one of us is strong enough to handle this problem alone. No. Right? Because Superman is. Right. And and a little bit like the, the ambivalence about The Rock as a figure of fun. Right, mm. like versus uh, versus someone who's sort of straightforward, a- straightforward, admirable. Right, because he's re- he's made ridiculous at times and is uh, is really admirable. Right. Yeah. At, at, that's that's the characterization that I alluded to. Mitch's characterization is all over the place. Yeah. Right. Because he's supposed to be this really admirable guy who loves the kids and the families and is sort of a mini politician. Like this movie could have ended with him running for city council. Right. Right. Like, oh, man, maybe you should run for city council. Uh, right. And it's like, oh, me? Gosh. You know, and then it's like it turns out that David Hasselhoff is the mayor. Right. Or something like that. Um like, like that's how that's one of the ways that it, that's one of the ways that it could have gone. But then at the same time, he just curses like on camera, like frequently. Right. And then and he participates in the gross humiliation of his coworkers in a way that's sort of funny. Right. Like 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 the Mitch who runs around. And this was the part of the movie that bothered me the most is that Mitch is running around at the beginning and he's nice to everybody. And he's this he wants to be this sort of upstanding guy and he wants to really hold up the the lifeguards as this paragon of stuff. And then when he's in the morgue with uh, with Alexandra Daddario and Zac Efron, Zac Efron is is having like putrefied human tissue like of long dead bodies or maybe recently dead bodies dripping on his face and the rock is like like laughing about it right uh, yeah. or is the rock yeah and like that is the the rock is with them at that point right it's not just like or is it is it did zach efron sneak in there without the rock is it the rock and alexander dario and like another character is it is the rock suspended at that point but it's just like uh, definitely the the scene where john baskets is penis trapped in the chair yes like M- mitch should not find that funny mitch should be like let's hold the phone everybody let's stop this let's not humiliate this guy in front of everybody yeah right like because mitch is this is this guy who believes in sort of uh good old-fashioned you know f- f- uh potter familias honor and responsibility right, right? he's and, an uncle ben figure well, yeah. yeah and so the i mean the interesting uh i mean the, yeah the interesting thing about that is this kind of this points to this kind of contradictory model of of masculinity the kind of the having your cake and eating it too model where it's like it is both uh it is both sensitive to to uh to jump ass and also appreciative of the um Appreciative of the like, ho, 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 funny story. This is a fu- you are in the middle of a funny story. You're going to tell everybody one day, you know, like, <laughs> and that like, you know, yeah, it doesn't like those, those two things are, are sort of irreconcilable. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, another kind of confusion, um, just another confusion in the character. Yeah. I think in general, the cruelty and the, and the humiliation it just made made no sense from anybody who was like actually 
do you think the people making this movie were actually fond of Baywatch? That, that, is, <laughs> that is the question that sticks with me. Well, I, I want to check. One, I who even that... directed this movie? Who even directed this? Seth Gordon. Who, who is Seth Gordon? Uh, he's the director of Horrible Bosses. And, oh, he did Identity Thief. Oh, I saw Identity Thief. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, there was one uh, – there was one um... – I think original creator of Baywatch. This was in some of the some of the material that I read. I guess um, uh, I think Gregory Bonan Bonan Bonan, um, who was one of the creators of of Baywatch, who was uh, I think who was involved in this or or was it one of the other two creators? I, I don't know I, re- I read about one creator being uh initially involved in the movie but then parting ways because uh the film went into satirical to uh uh you know um lighthearted a direction right like was uh, too mocking i should say yeah uh, it's more it's like it mocks the project that had been like his life's work yeah and, <laughs> and, and yeah and that a little bit like it wasn't um you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't taking taking it seriously enough. But that's a good, you know, that's a, I mean, that's a good point, right? Like screwball comedies, traffic and cruelty, uh, family stories don't, right? Yeah. Like, and that's uh, that it's it's uh, it's part of the kind of the whole incoherent picture, the the whole sense that like everything's going on and so nothing is going on. Yeah. Like when you think about movies where the characters engage in a lot or are suffer or just are subjected to a lot of cruelty, but still have heart. So I would think of, say, like super bad, right? Like in the movie Super Bad, the characters are have a bunch of different humiliations that are foisted on them. And yet the film still has heart and still is kind of about their relationships in a way that is that is sincere and earnest. There are there are aspects of tone and style and also of content in the movie that let you know that these people are going to be okay, right? That they're going to be fine. Part of it is there is they're so young and there's this expectation that nothing bad is going to happen to like really young people in this kind of movie. Like that's sort of the default expectation. If one of them had been brought out behind the roof, behind the building and shot right at the beginning of the movie, then all of a sudden, whenever any of them was humiliated, it would change the tone of things. A lot. No, it's like the cops, the two cops in super bad are like, uh, like we're going to get a little antisocial, like, but we're not going to really get antisocial, you yeah. know, because like the cops, the cops are like an inter- they're internal cops. They're like keeping it going. Super bad reveals though, that the real cruelty is, you know, is like worked by time on you. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, like it's the, sh- the final shot with the escalator kind of separating the two friends as one like ascends beyond or descends right like away from the other and and out of a stationary frame um that 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 motion that like life you know it's the escalator of life really taking taking you away but like it's it's not you know um like uh yeah I, I was thinking of like police academy in terms of of screwball comedy right like super bad is really a, a story of about like adolescence as a crucible and a, a sort of trial right uh and and like the sort of the movement from friendship to family in the yeah. sense of the movement of like male friendship to like heteronormative relationship as the as the sort of foundational relationship of your life yeah it's part of what super bad's about yeah right um 
and the tragedy of that, the loss that's associated with it. Yeah, exactly. And that, the beautiful loss, but the loss nonetheless. Right? So that's a real, I mean, you know, that's a real sort of thing. So when the cruelty happens, it's not capricious, you know, like, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the cruelty of, of police academy is like, you know, people dicking around, right? Like it's, it's capricious. And so is the cruelty of, uh, some of the humiliating aspects of, of Baywatch and they, they don't belong, right? Like they don't yeah. belong in, in Baywatch. It's not consonant with the kind of the DNA of the franchise, you know, yeah. especially because the people in Baywatch and here's the real here's the real realization here the characters in Baywatch are lifeguards there's a lot of time spent in the movie telling you what lifeguards can't do there is very little time in the movie telling you what lifeguards do and and we actually and I think that there are moments in the movie where the lifeguards really do and they do the lifeguard thing but lifeguards keep people safe that's their job and that's what they do and the idea that the lifeguards who's who's you know, in this movie, it's their metaphysical existence, their telos, their purpose, their being is that they save people. And the idea that the people who save people don't keep each other safe, that to me is a, is a critical problem that the movie needs to fix. Either it's about lifeguards that don't save people or it's about lifeguards that save people. And you can't be – especially if you're a comedy, which means you need to crystallize your character motivations and keep them consistent so that the jokes have a basis to resonate from. Right. Like if you have consistent characters, even if they are textured, but if you have consistent characters that are committed to this notion of saving people, they should not be okay with blasting somebody's penis in a piece of wooden furniture. Right. And like badly injuring him. Right. Like that should not be something that they do for fun or that they think is cute. Uh, And and I think I would even add to that that like the movie engages not at all with the note, with the actual experience of looking at a lifeguard. Which I think we've we've had in real life. I think you have had and I have had of like being at a pool or at a beach and they're being a lifeguard and they're on a chair and they're in a in a special bathing suit and they have a special authority and they're not paying attention to you because they're paying attention to the water. And that's a really important part of of what makes it safe. Right. Is that like and this is the sort of sandlot dynamic. Right. Where and we've 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 name checked a lot of movies this podcast. I like how we've sort of reached around the canon. Right. But this is the model of. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like CJ. She wants yeah. to reach around the canon. Booyah. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, the idea in the sandlot where everybody's looking at the lifeguard. Right. And the lifeguard is this teenage girl and they're all younger teenage boys. And and there's this sort of moment of of sexual personal discovery that happens in youth and adolescence. Uh, right. Associated with it. But there's no. And that's a big part of Baywatch is that you're looking at lifeguards. You're looking at somebody uh, who is looking at somebody else and and that they're so focused on the other person that they're very much at ease with you looking at them. Like they know that they're being looked at and they have to put it out of their mind that it bothers them. It can't bother them because they have to do their job. Right. And in fact, they're so focused on their job that it doesn't even cross their mind for it to bother them. And also they're so strong and so capable and they're so safe. Everything is so safe. Because everybody is being saved. There is no danger. There is no risk. There is no predation. When I mean, there is predation on Baywatch sometimes, but it gets resolved, right? Like, they deal with it. Uh, like, like you know, and, and that, that that's like a big, that is like a wound that needs to be cured, right? Um, and so, yeah, like, do you want to make a movie in which we watch lifeguards save people? Or do you want to make a movie that makes fun of a silly TV show? I, I love how they even, like, they say it without actually showing it. 
right? Like there's that one moment where we get to see the crazy cooler that gets to that, like uh, the beach grifters use, yeah. which is so great. But I would have loved to have seen a montage of all the things he talked about, like somebody smuggling diamonds in the surfboard sure. or a bunch of manta rays stinging people, which conceivably are like plots from the television show, right? Where he says, that sounds like stuff that would happen on an entertaining but far-fetched television show, right? Like, show it to me. You're showing me the television show, right? right? I want to, what, I guess that's what it gets down to is like, what are we actually looking at here? When, what are we looking at when we look at Baywatch? And the answer is, uh, on a surface level, people running in slow motion, which there isn't a lot of in this movie. <laughs> yep. So so that is that is and they make fun of it and they shame you for it, uh, which is like, OK, well, maybe I don't want to. Then maybe the big lesson of this movie is maybe I don't want to watch your Baywatch. Right. Like, may, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that if that the Baywatch doth protest too much? <laughs> and if you're really that bothered by me wanting to watch Baywatch, maybe I shouldn't see your movie and shouldn't send see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 for the second or third time. <laughs> it is funny well, that's, that David that's what a lot wasn't, of it, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even the number one cameo in this weekend. No, David sure. Hasselhoff's cameo. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Anyway, so, I, I, well, the, 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 a lot of America made the same choice that, that you did, elevating uh, the fourth week of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 uh, to the number two spot. Um, and since there's no accounting for taste, a lot of people also want to see the Johnny Depp Pirates of the Caribbean movie. All right, Pete, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Uh, thanks very much for uh, watching the Bay with me. Whether or not it is a Bay we want to watch, a Bay watch we want to watch, uh, we were looking at somebody who was looking at, at somebody else, and maybe they didn't like what they saw inside. Uh, but uh, who's watching the Who's watching the Bay Watchmen? Who, right? Who watches the Bay Watchmen? Um, the uh, 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 you know the the summer movie uh, thing cont- continues. I, I I think it's probably not too much of a stretch to say that we're probably talking about Wonder Woman. Uh, you, and yeah. is, my, is my voice sure. dripping, dripping with enthusiasm? Um, Why not? That movie looks great. I'm psyched for Wonder Woman. Yeah, I love, you know, Chris, the, I love the, Chris Pine, and I love and Gal Gadot is part of the Fast and Furious family, so it's gonna be great. Yeah, so she's exactly so. So we we like uh, she's like our hometown hero. Uh, a, a little bit the Warner's uh, superhero movies have been a little bit joyless and a little bit mm-hmm. uh, uh, a little bit of a grind. So I guess I'm bringing that to it rather than considering this particular film, which actually does. Look good um but uh yeah we'll we'll be back there 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 will always be another summer temple uh there will always be more overthinking it podcast uh so until the next one comes uh keep up with us at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. saying is that you better figure this whole tone thing out before you do the walker texas ranger movie because if i go see that walker texas ranger movie and i am this disappointed as i am in the walker in that movie as i am in baywatch there's gonna be trouble and i'm not even gonna go see the dr quinn medicine woman movie all right that's where i draw the line that's where i draw it